Lordship, I'm looking forward tonight to continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. We haven't been in Mark for the last few weeks because of a number of different things that we've been doing on Sunday nights, but now we're ready to go back to Mark chapter 14. So if you want to turn there with me, Mark chapter 14, and in just a few minutes we're going to begin by looking at verse number 43. Mark chapter 14, and we'll begin there in just a few moments in verse number 43. How many times have you heard somebody say the words up on the screen? How many times have you said the words up on the screen? That's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. Maybe it was some kind of situation or circumstance that took place in your life. Like a diagnosis, a death, a loss. Maybe it was in a relationship with another person. Maybe it was in a relationship with another individual, a friend, family member, a co-worker. Where something took place and it left you to throw up your hands and say, that's just not right. That's not fair. It's not just. I would say we're not going to, but I would say if we were to ask for a show of hands, every single hand would go up. We've heard these words before. We've said these words before. That's not fair. What if I were to tell you that Jesus knows what it's like to be treated unfairly? What if I were to tell you that Jesus knows what it's like to go through circumstances and to go through situations that were unjust, situations that weren't fair, situations that weren't right. That's the theme. That's what we're going to see as we walk through not only a few verses in the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to look at the entire story. We're going to look in Luke. We're going to look in John over the next few minutes to talk about the trial of Jesus. Trials are supposed to be fair. By definition, trials are supposed to be just, not Jesus's. As we walk through this story together, we're going to see that Jesus is acquainted with situations and circumstances that are not fair. And I hope it will encourage us to think about our own lives. I hope that it will encourage us to think about those times where we have been through circumstances that weren't fair, circumstances that weren't just, and it will encourage us to be more like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to respond like Jesus. So let's begin there in Mark chapter 14 beginning in verse 43, by talking about the arrest of Jesus. I want to take just a few moments to remind you where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Last time we studied together, we left off in verse number 42. When you go in verses 32 to 42, you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion, where Jesus is pouring out His heart. He's pouring out His soul to God in prayer. You remember the prayer? Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Luke tells us that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 5 and verse number 9 that his sweat became, that rather he was crying and, and praying and petitioning with loud cries and tears. It's an emotional scene from Jesus in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. The disciples couldn't even stay awake through it. After Jesus finishes praying that same prayer, the same words for the third time, this scene takes place in Mark chapter 14 and 43 where a crowd, perhaps we could call it a mob, comes out to arrest Jesus. They come out to Jesus as if He's some kind of dangerous criminal. The Bible tells us that they came out against Him with swords and clubs as if they expected Him to fight back. 
As if they expected him to push back against what they were trying to do. This was a crowd, according to Mark in verse 43, that was sent from the chief priests and scribes and elders, that was sent from the Jewish religious leaders. John is the gospel writer who tells us that there were also some Roman soldiers within this crowd coming to arrest Jesus. And then to add on top of that, who is this crowd being led by? Who is leading this crowd to where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas. Judas, one of the twelve, the one who betrayed Jesus, is the one who is leading this crowd to arrest Jesus. He told them in verse number 44, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And that's exactly what they did. Take a second to think about that. How fair is that? How fair is it that Jesus, after spending so much time in prayer to God, pouring out His heart and soul in prayer to God, how fair is it that He was arrested? We're talking about the one who has never done anything wrong. We're talking about the one who knew no sin but became sin for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, we're talking about the one who was tempted in all aspects as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, how fair is it that one of his disciples made the decision to turn his back on him and lead this crowd out to him, treating him like some kind of dangerous criminal? I think we can see it's very plain that it's not fair at all. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not just. But notice that Jesus doesn't resist. Jesus doesn't fight back. Jesus doesn't push back. Even when Peter tries to, I think, more than likely what Peter was trying to do is cut off the servant's head. But Peter's a fisherman, probably not too good with a sword. He ends up cutting off Malchus's ear. Instead of starting a fight right there, Jesus picks up the ear and puts it right back on Malchus and tells Peter to put the sword away. This isn't right. It's not fair. It's not just. But Jesus is going to go through it anyway. It's in that moment where He says the Scriptures must be fulfilled in verse 49. And as Jesus predicted in verse 50, all of His disciples left Him And they fled. They were scattered like sheep, as Jesus had predicted just a little bit earlier. And so Jesus is arrested. The next place that he is taken, if you want to turn over with me for just a few minutes, Mark, Mark chapter 14. If you have one of these ribbon markers or mark it with your finger, we're going to come back to it. But go over with me to the book of John, the gospel of John for just a second. And we'll see in John chapter 18 and beginning in verse number 12 that when they arrested Jesus, the first place that they took Him was to a man named Annas. For about a decade, Annas had served as the high priest. The high priest of Judaism. The one who was in charge of the entire religion. But something that we need to understand about the high priest in the first century time is that it was completely controlled by politics. It was completely controlled by the Roman Empire. At this point, Annas had been removed from the position of high priest by the Romans. He had been replaced with five of his sons. And currently, at this point, his son-in-law, in verse 13, Caiaphas was serving as the high priest. But there were many who still viewed Annas as the rightful high priest. Those who respected his rule. Those who respected his authority. And so the first place that they bring Jesus is to Honest. In verse 19, it says that the high priest was questioning Jesus about his disciples, questioning Jesus about his teaching. And Jesus answered him by basically saying, I haven't done any of this in a, in a corner. 
I haven't done any of this in secret. He says in there in, in 20, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Whenever Jesus said those things to Honest, apparently one of the officials saw that as disrespectful. He walked over to Jesus. He slapped Jesus in the face with his open hand, it seems, and asked him, is that how you answer the high priest? Is that how you're supposed to talk to him? When you talk to this man, you treat him with respect. When you talk to this man, you submit to him and you answer his questions the way that he wants them to be answered. Now pause. How fair is that? How right is that? How just is that? That Jesus is dragged before Honest. He's interrogated. He's asked all of these questions. And when he answers the questions by saying, go ask the Jews. They've heard me. They've seen me. I haven't done this in secret. He's smacked across the face. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not just. But yet that is exactly what Jesus is going through. I find it interesting that Jesus even recognizes in the moment that this wasn't fair. You see that in verse 23. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why did you strike me? Why are you hitting me if I'm telling you the truth? Why are you striking me in the face, slapping me in the face if what I said was correct? So Jesus stands on trial before honest. But as we continue to look at this story, if you want to go back to Mark the 14th chapter, verses 53 through 65, we find Jesus being transferred to the one who was actually serving in the, as the high priest at the time, Caiaphas the son-in-law of Honest. But it wasn't just Caiaphas, it was the chief priest, it was the elders, it was the scribe, it was the entire council, the Jewish Sanhedrin, we might call them the Jewish Supreme Court. Jesus comes before them and they already have their conclusion. They already have their verdict in mind that they're going to declare Jesus as guilty, they're going to declare Jesus as deserving of death, but they have to get some evidence first. The Old Testament law says on the basis of two or three witnesses, a person is condemned. They need to find those two or three witnesses, which is really backwards, isn't it? You can see how unfair that is. Usually when you think about a trial, you have the evidence presented and then the conclusion is based on the evidence. Here they already have the conclusion and they're trying to find the evidence to fit the conclusion that's already in their hearts. They're trying to find the evidence to do what they already want to do, and that is to put Jesus to death. But there's a problem. Actually, there's a couple of problems. They go hand in hand with one another. First, Mark tells us that their testimony was false. They were lying against Jesus in order to try to execute Him. But then Mark tells us that their evidence did not agree. In other words, one would say one thing and another would say another thing and they would end up contradicting one another. Eventually, they turn and address Jesus directly. In verse 61, Caiaphas asked him the question, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. What a powerful confession from the mouth of Jesus in verse 62. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, perhaps you've noticed how Jesus, after He would perform a miracle, He would say, tell no one about this. Don't tell anyone what I did. Don't tell anyone who I am. For instance, when they went out up, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, He told the disciples, don't say anything to, uh, about this to anybody until I've resurrected from the dead. 
to an extent, he's been concealing his identity up to this point. Are you the Son of God? I am. And he takes it a step further. He refers back to the book of Daniel. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. It's in that statement that they feel that they have the evidence that they need. In verse 64, they all condemned him as deserving of death. And then in 65, they started to spit on him. They covered his face and struck him, saying, prophesy. They, they covered Jesus' eyes to where he couldn't see anything. And then they would take turns punching him and slapping him in the face. Well, if you're the Son of God, if you're the ones who's going to come in the clouds, if you're the Son of Man that the book of Daniel talks about, tell us, which one of us just hit you? Which one of us just struck you across the face? What's fair about that? How fair is it that Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin and they're so crooked that they're bringing false and contradictory evidence against Him? How fair is it that they condemned Him as deserving of death for making a true confession? Making a true statement that He is the Son of God and He is the Son of Man. How fair is it that they're spitting on Jesus and they're slapping Him in the face and mocking Him and making fun of Him? It's not fair at all. But we continue to see this story unfold as we get closer and closer to the cross. By the way, this trial that we've been talking about took place at night. What kind of trial takes place at night? I can tell you, a trial that's not fair, a trial that's not right, and a trial that's not just, and that's exactly what Jesus is experiencing. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 1, the Sanhedrin comes to their final decision, the conclusion that they've been seeking over the last several hours, Jesus is deserving of death. And so they take Jesus and they hand him over to the Romans. Why did they do that? Remember, the Jews were living under the Romans, under the rule and authority of the Romans at this time. Under Roman rule, the Jews didn't have the authority to execute anybody. They couldn't kill anybody. So if they want somebody executed, they had to hand him or hand that person over to the Romans. And that's exactly what they do. As we continue reading in Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, you see first a private trial before Pilate. This is the initial conversation that Jesus and Pilate have with one another whenever you look at verses 2 through 5. Of course, Pilate was the governor of Judea at the time. He was a man of great power, a man of great authority, and as a result of that, he was a man of great wealth. As Jesus was brought in before Pilate, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? The Jews would have to twist the evidence in such a way that it wasn't about religion. The Romans wouldn't have cared if this was some kind of religious dispute. So they had to make Jesus look like someone who was a king. Someone who claimed to be a king. Someone who would threaten the emperor, Caesar, who was ruling over the empire at the time. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him saying, you have said so. And the chief priest continued to accuse him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. The Jews are bringing all of these charges against Jesus, and Jesus isn't saying a word. Think about what a usual prisoner would do. A usual prisoner would plead for his life, especially if he was innocent, especially if he didn't do anything. He would try to tell his side of the story. Jesus doesn't say a word. And as a result, Pilate is amazed by that. When you look at some of these 
parallel accounts in Matthew and Luke and John, the Bible says at this moment, Pilate knew that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. At this moment, Pilate knew what we've been suggesting over the last few moments, that this isn't fair. This isn't right. It's not just. He knew that, but remember, he's a politician. And so he's going to do all that he can to please the people who are living under his rule. Whenever we have things that we don't want to deal with, oftentimes we try to pass them off on other people, right? And it seems that's what Pilate wants to do. He knows that Jesus is innocent. And so the next step that he takes is he hands Jesus over to a man named Herod Antipas. If you want to turn over to the Gospel of Luke, we'll take a few minutes to notice that. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 6 through 12, where Pilate sends Jesus to go and meet with a man named Herod Antipas. Now you go back to Luke chapter 3, and you find that Herod Antipas was the ruler over the region of Galilee. Galilee was north of Judea, it was north of Samaria. When you look at Palestine, it was Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Herod Antipas is in the city of Jerusalem in the region of Judea in order to celebrate the Passover feast. And so since Jesus is from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, he sends Jesus to stand before Herod Antipas. Now we see earlier in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it's in Luke chapter 9, where Herod Antipas wanted to meet Jesus. We find that even mentioned in this passage, that when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. This is verse 8. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. Even though the word on the street in Luke chapter 13 and 31 is that Herod Antipas wanted to kill Jesus, here he's excited to have Jesus stand before him to hear his teaching to perhaps see one of the miracles that he had heard so much about and so like the individuals honest Caiaphas the Sanhedrin that we've seen so far he began to question Jesus at some length but just like we saw with Pilate Jesus made no answer and so in verse 10 the chief priest as they did with Pilate the scribes stood by they were vehemently accusing him and Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him then arraying him in splendid clothing he claims to be a king he needs some really nice clothes Herod Antipas dressed him up and sent him back to Pilate seems that Herod Antipas didn't know what to do with Jesus either but again we pause and we ask the question how fair is this how fair is it that Jesus is paraded in front of Herod Antipas? Again, having all of these questions, that questions that he's heard over the last few hours. How fair is it that all of these accusations are being hurled against him? How fair is it that he was mocked and made fun of and treated with contempt? Dressed up and sent back to Pilate. Again, we see that this is not fair at all. And then, as this is the last passage we're going to look at tonight in the trial of Jesus, in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15, if you want to turn your Bible back to the Gospel of Mark, we saw just a few moments ago a private trial before Pilate where they were having conversation with one another. Now we find a public trial before Pontius Pilate. Remember, Pilate knew going into this that Jesus was innocent, that he wasn't deserving of this. It was because of envy and jealousy that he had been delivered over. But yet at the Passover feast, it was the custom for Pilate to release one prisoner to the Jews. They got to vote for it. Popular vote for who the prisoner would be that was set free. There were two options in Mark chapter 15. You have Jesus, 
the Son of Man, the Son of God, the one who never sinned. And on the other side, you have a man named Barabbas. The Scriptures tell us that Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was more than likely a Jew who rebelled against the Romans. By our terms, we would call him a terrorist. The Gospel accounts also tell us that he was a murderer. And so the choice, Pilate's standing before this large crowd of Jews, and he sets a choice out there. Who do you want me to set free to you? Jesus or Barabbas? The chief priests and elders stirred up the crowd, influenced the crowd, and you remember what they cried out, don't you? Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Wait, what? What do you want me to do with Jesus? What wrong has He done? We want you to crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. It's ironic. It's the same crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem just a few days earlier, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And now, because of the influence of the Jewish religious leaders, they're asking for Jesus to be put to death. They're asking for Jesus to be executed. Pontius Pilate, even though he knew it wasn't the right thing to do, a politician gave in to the people. The popular vote survived. Barabbas was set free. And in 15, having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. How fair is it that Jesus was sentenced to die one of the most painful deaths in the world at that time. And Barabbas, a terrorist, insurrectionist, murderer, was set free. How fair is it that a crowd who welcomed Him into Jerusalem just a few days before that, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, is now crying out for His death. Crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. Think about those three words that we started with, the title of our lesson tonight. Would you say that Jesus is pretty acquainted with those three words? That's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. I would say that He is. We look at our lives and we go through circumstances where we say the same thing. This isn't right. This isn't fair. This isn't just. We've experienced it in the past. Maybe you're experiencing it in the present. We're going to continue to experience things that are unfair and unjust as we continue to go into the future. And so as we close over just the next few minutes, let's ask, what can we learn from Jesus? As we look at Jesus going through these unfair circumstances, these unjust situations, what can we learn from Him about what we need to do when we find ourselves in those kind of situations? Well, let me suggest just a couple of ideas and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, we need to think about Jesus. Whenever we find ourselves throwing our hands up and saying those three words, this isn't fair, life isn't fair, I don't deserve this, I don't deserve to have to go through this pain or go through this difficulty, we need to stop and spend some time thinking about Jesus. That's what Carl read for us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 3 where the Hebrew writer says, consider Him. Think about Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. When you find yourself in unfair, not right circumstances, think about the One who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. What happens when I think about Jesus? When I think about Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, it helps me not to give up. 
It helps me not to grow weary or faint-hearted. When I think about Jesus and everything that He was willing to go through, it gives me endurance. It helps me to keep going. It helps me to stand underneath the weight of the load and to continue to put one foot in front of the other. When you throw up your hands and you're thinking about how life isn't fair and you don't deserve to go through all of this, consider Him who endured such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But I don't think it's enough to just think about Jesus. Whenever we think about Jesus, as we go through unfair circumstances, I believe we're going to respond like Jesus. In 1 Peter, 1, or rather, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-23, through 23, Peter talks about how Jesus responded to His unfair treatment. Notice in 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Jesus went through unfair, unjust circumstances, and in that, He has left us an example. When we go through unfair circumstances, it's time for us to follow Jesus' example. It's time for us to step in His footprints, to follow in His steps. Jesus suffered, but He committed no sin. He suffered, but no deceit was found in His mouth. How did He respond to it? First of all, He didn't seek out revenge. So often, whenever we find ourselves in unjust circumstances, we try to get even with people. We try to seek out revenge. We take it into our own hands. We try to right those wrongs. If the ship is being turned over, we want to right that ship based on our own strength and our own ability. Jesus didn't do that. When He was reviled and spit on, He didn't revile and spit on people. When He was struck in the face, He didn't strike them in the face to make things balanced or to make things even. Jesus didn't seek out revenge. And so when we go through unfair circumstances, if we're going to respond like Jesus, then we're not going to seek out revenge. When we're reviled, we're not going to revile in return. Whenever we suffer, we're not going to threaten. But instead, we're going to entrust ourselves to the One who judges justly. If I were to just put this in my hands, it would be so tempting to seek out revenge. To right my own wrongs and to seek justice for myself. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't seek out revenge. And the reason He didn't seek out revenge is because He was trusting Himself to a God of justice. He was trusting Himself to a God who's going to be fair, who's one day going to take all wrongs and make them right. As we endure unfair, unjust circumstances, let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let's follow His example. Don't seek out revenge. Don't, don't try to right your own wrongs. Instead, entrust yourself to God. Place your life in His hands. Knowing, as Paul says at the end of Romans 12, vengeance is His. He will repay. Don't seek out revenge. But instead, place your life in the hands of a God who judges justly. Life isn't fair. We go through circumstances that aren't fair. May we learn to think about Jesus, to respond like Jesus, and to follow 
in His footsteps. If we can help you to do that tonight, we would love that opportunity as together we stand and sing.